Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck and I'm joined here with my daughter, Paige Peck Baumert. Hi, Paige. Well, hello. Hey, Paige is a newlywed and she is a self-governed lady. We talk about self-government on this podcast. In fact, everything we talk about relates to self-government, being in control of yourself. So Paige, what does self-government actually even mean? Well, self-government, the way that we share it with people is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. Aha, this suggests a little bit of planning ahead because I don't think you really could control yourself well if you didn't say, hmm, what do I want to do to make sure I make the right decision for myself or to make sure that I solve the problem the way I have planned to solve the problem? So does that mean that having self-government or practicing self-government over yourself means that you are a prepper? A prepper? Is everyone a prepper now? <laughs> that's what I want to know. So that's the topic of this podcast is is everybody a prepper now? And like how teaching self-government relates to planning ahead. Because actually mm-hmm. you can't have self-government unless you plan ahead. It is vital. Okay, so I got to tell you a little prepper story. Now, honestly, I think everybody is a prepper, okay? Maybe not everybody, but like the, the gross majority. I have never in my life seen so many people buy so much paper rolled up you know, toilet papers and stuff in my whole life, right? (laughs) So we had this time where all toilet paper had disappeared from the shelf and where meat products had disappeared from the shelf and peanut butter and all kinds of things, you know, disappeared from the shelf. And as much as we want to say, oh, we're not like crazy doomsdayers, like actually though, actually isn't everybody, why are you buying so much toilet paper then? If you're not worried about some future big problem, why are you buying so much, you know? So, and, and actually we could ask ourselves, is it bad? Is it bad to be a prepper? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what a prepper really means and some different definitions of what it means to be a prepper. We are going to talk about... You mean a prepper? (laughs) What did I say? A proper a proper prepper. <laughs> be a proper prepper. Okay, we will we will go there. We will become proper preppers. And um, anyway, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the skills with self government and how they help us prepare ahead for the future. But before we do that, we're going to talk about a family activity that might be a lot of fun. So, Paige, how about you share something, a memory from your past, something we did uh, that you feel like was a fond memory or something that might be fun for people to try. For sure. Um, Something that we did when we were younger is we made a lot of homemade Play-Doh and we would play with it and we'd get, you know, all the the kitchen cooking utensils and we would cut it up and we would, but, and yeah, and we would make it, we'd stand there and make it with you and then we would play with it. And Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, we, I think it was salt dough, not necessarily Play-Doh, but it it was called salt dough. Um, And it was really, really fun. Yeah. So 
it takes a lot of salt. I mean, I don't know. It's like a cup of salt or something, something you never would use of salt. But I'll tell you what, that salt preserves that Play-Doh. We put it in an airtight container and that Play-Doh would last for years. We kept it on the shelf in our play closet and anytime we wanted to do something with salt dough or Play-Doh, we pulled it out. And you know, sometimes I would buy the name brand Play-Doh stuff and you guys always like the salt dough better. Really? There was something about the texture of it that you really liked. And I know that when we made it, it was really fun because it'd be warm. We'd cook it on the stove because we made a cooked kind of a salt dough, which is why it lasted so long, I think. But we'd cook it on the stove and then we'd dump it out onto the counter, nice and warm and hot. And then I know you guys would take a, a bunch of it and you would sit and knead it on the counter. And then it would get softer and softer and softer. Mm -hmm. And soon it was this beautiful, soft texture because the salt would break down with the heat as you kneaded it together to turn it into a, just a really nice dough. And that was so much fun. Oh and yeah. I still ate that nasty. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you would try to eat it after it had been in the closet for like a couple of years. Ew. Nasty, nasty. I never flavored ours cause I didn't want you to eat it. Well, I wanted why would you, to you flavor it? Gross. That's nasty. Well, some people do because they're like, oh, they're just going to eat it. But ugh. And I know that like sometimes I've, I've bought Play-Doh in the past, like when you guys were little and they would have it on the label and it would say like edible. And I'm like, ew. <laughs> like, how about that's not? <laughs> just go for real food. How about <laughs> not for that? Anyway, so but everything that it takes to make salt dough is like actually a food thing. So I guess you could eat it anyway. So that's a fun one. That's so fun. We used to pretend so many things. We made little animals and we made, um, we pretended we were cooking Ugh, so much fun. Okay. Good memory. I like that. Okay. So I got to tell you about my canning jar problem. Okay, so I had a problem today. I'm in the throes of canning right now. We have everything under the sun. We've got grapes that we're turning into grape juice. We've got plums that we're turning into plum jam and plum uh, leather and plum syrup and plum you know, bread. You plum breads, yes. Well, well, we make we chop them up and freeze them for plum bread. We've got peaches. We've got pears for pear sauce and dehydrated pears and everything. We've got. We've got um, beans and we've got cabbages and we've got tomatoes and we've got peppers and we've got broccoli and kale and carrots and beets and we are canning beets and salsa and chili sauce and tomatoes and everything. Okay, everything. I wish there was a way to put the kale in a jar. I, I don't know. But except for that I have a jar problem. Okay, so... I actually did a really bad thing. I am a veteran canner, okay? And when you're a canner, you look ahead and you say, okay, what are my crops? What do I want to make out of all my stuff that's coming on and starting to grow? And then you say, all right, so I'm going to need these jars for this and these jars for this and these jars for this. Well, I had this problem this year and it was called cucumber explosion, okay? Way too many cucumbers. <laughs> In fact, Paige knows like every time her and her, she and her husband would come visit, I'm, I'm like, eat cucumbers, eat more cucumbers. <laughs> and Joseph totally does. He just eats it like an apple. I'm like, you, you go, friend. You, you yeah, do that. How many cucumbers a day did that poor boy eat in my house? Anyway. Oh, like so, five or six, if not more. <laughs> I know. I'm like, yay, cucumbers are going away. So <laughs> but because I had so many cucumbers, we had to make, of course, what? Pickles. Because that's a great thing to can with cucumbers. So... 
I thought to myself, you know what? I always put the pickles in big jars and it's just too many pickles. And then we have to keep the pickles in the fridge for a while. And I would rather just open a small jar of pickles and use them and not have to keep a jar of pickles, like a big one in the fridge for a long time. So I thought I was going to be so smart and I'm going to use all these small jars for the pickles because it's more bite-sized proportions, you know? And this was a very big problem. Yes. Because now I have to do plums and I'm supposed to be making plum jam. And guess what? No small jars, only big jars. And I was trying to make salsa yesterday and no small jars, only big jars. And I'm going, oh no, I can't put salsa and jam in these huge quart-sized jars instead of the pint ones. So of course I... I go to every store in town. I mean, we're talking even the weird ones. I went to every store and I'm like, do you have jars? I need pint-sized canning jars. And they're like, we have no canning jars, no canning lids, nothing. And I was like, what do I do? So this is what I did. I said, okay. When are you going to get some? Because I thought, perfect. I'll be the first one in line. I'll make an order, something, you know? And they're like, well, we have no idea. Because the factory that makes all the cur and ball and all these different canning jars, they're out of everything, of all the supplies. So uh, whenever they can make more and get them to us, I guess. And I went, whoa. And I'm thinking of all my produce. All my, and I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to live without canning jars. What's going to happen to all my produce? Anyway, so this is where I'm at. And I'm looking around going, everyone's a prepper. Everyone is canning everything. Either, Which is that, good. Or, either that or on purpose, they did not make enough jars this year. That's all <laughs> I can figure. But I'm thinking, well, with a pandemic, with the shortage of toilet paper, with everybody going, I think I'll plant a garden this year. We had all of a sudden so many people wanting jars and canning supplies that the demand was higher than what the production was. So there we are. And I don't know how long this will last for, um, you know, probably in a few years they'll make loads of jars and nobody will want them. But, but anyway, um, I can't get any. And so I thought to myself, I did not prepare. I did not plan ahead. And that is where we are at with, uh, with my canning jar problem. So what does it mean to be a prepper? Let's talk about that. That is a new word, okay? And a lot of people say prepper with disdain, right? Or like and, doomsday's prepper. Yeah, and then I have this other friend who says to me, oh, I am totally a prepper. Like, it's the best thing in the world, right? So <laughs> everyone has their association to the word prepper, okay? That you find out when you talk around with people a little bit. And, and you know, I would say some people might consider me a prepper. That's probably true. Oh, you totally are. Okay, see, there you go. So I am a prepper because I'm like, hey, every, every you know, like winter, I'm like, let's get everything in the trailer that we would need in case we need to like drive away and some accident happens, the house burns up, whatever. We've got stuff ready, you know, so we keep things like a little bit in order, but I'm not like freaking out. I guess that's the thing. No, but you like to be prepared. And that's what a prepper is, someone who's prepared. Now, there's obviously people who can, you know, over-prepare for something that probably isn't going to happen. And those people are where the disdain, you know, comes from. 
with the word maybe like the the fear kind of mongering that sometimes goes with being prepared right like uh, like the stress factor that comes in with some people maybe i think the negative connotation that's what i'm looking for yeah i think there's some people that think that the preppers are fearful, worried, stressed, hoarding, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But I was raised by people who garden and who can their food. And so to me, it's just like a historical thing. Like that's just what you do. And why wouldn't you get prepared anyway? If you've got something coming like a trip, don't you, you know, you put the money aside, you make the plans for where you're going to go, you whatever. If you do it for a trip, why wouldn't you do it for your regular life? Like, I just right. feel like it's just a normal principle that how about we prepare for what's coming and maybe even do a little prepare, preparing for what could come because you never really know what the future will hold. And we've seen that this year. I mean, doesn't 2020 prove that? I hope so. Oh, I would say so. That is for certain. Yeah, things have changed. So let's talk about some definitions of preppers. I'm going to share two definitions. Uh, This one is from dictionary.com. I mean, I don't know how credible (laughs) dictionary.com is, but but I'm going to just read. It says, in factory work, a prepper is a person or machine that prepares objects for future assembly down the line. This sense has been around since at least the 1970s. These meanings of prepper are still extant but they these days prepper is more popularly associated with survivalists who try to prepare for various hypothetical cataclysmic events such as major natural disasters okay so you know the last part there that's what we normally think of when we think of a prepper but actually in factory work there are people who prepare things for a certain machine or certain machines who prepare stuff to go through another machine so actually the idea of preparing things ahead of time is is not some novel idea right so now okay I've never actually been to this site before, but as I looked up what prepper was meaning, this popped up and it was AmericanPreppersNetwork.com, right? <laughs> Whoa. Okay, so their definition is, is so much more uplifting. It says, a prepper is a person who earnestly believes that no challenge is insurmountable with the proper dedication, determination, and focus. A prepper looks at things that most people would think impossible to survive and says, all you really need is X, Y, and some Z. Seriously, though, that's so true. Yeah. So I actually, again, never even been to the website. I literally ripped that off of the Google search page. Okay, so that not, not a ton of... Um, preparation into finding (laughs) what the meaning is um for prepper because i didn't want to like get caught up in what the the website was about necessarily but i felt like i loved that definition and when you compare it back to back with dictionary.com you actually get a lot more insight from this american preppers network uh, definition because it's talking about belief that a person has that somebody has a belief that they can conquer things, that they can make it through trials, that they just need to stay focused, they need to prepare ahead of time, they need to have determination. So this is like a feeling of hope. This isn't a feeling of fear, disaster, worry, stress. In fact, I would say, in fact, I think the Bible says, if you are prepared, you shall not fear, right? It's so true. 
Yeah, and, and there's this uh, parable in the Bible uh, of the ten virgins, right? And the ones who are prepared are like, I'm totally fine, I'm good. But then the ones who realize they weren't prepared, prepared they didn't have enough oil, right? They're like, hey, give me some of yours. Oh, I don't have that. Yeah, no, they went to the people who had prepared, and they're like, hey, we need help, help us. And the ten, and the point, five are like, late. well, um, well, we have enough for ourselves, but we can't really share. Sorry. I know because it was too late then, right? And there is a point where it's like too late. So, um, so we have a lot of hope with this idea of, wait a second, we can look ahead of what's coming and we can get prepared. So people who do teaching self-government, which is what we teach, people who learn to control themselves, people who plan how they'll communicate with others, they are believing in being prepared for something. If I'm going to plan to control myself, what am I preparing for? What would you say, Paige? What am I preparing for? If I'm like, I'm going to be in control of myself. What is it that I am preparing for that I'm, I'm looking ahead with hope toward? I would say that you're preparing for future relationships, future conversations, communications. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm preparing for happiness. I'm preparing mm -hmm. for connection in my relationships. I'm preparing that no problem is going to get in the way of me loving and having good relationships in my family. I am preparing that that is going to be the number one most important and that I'm not going to let other little silly things ruin what is most important. So well, and I when, think it's important like when you do do that preparation you don't have to get caught up in those little things because you already know what you're going towards. And so all the little things that people get caught up on, you're like, you know, that doesn't even really matter because that's not helping me get towards where I'm going. Yeah. There's priorities in place, right? Yeah. So when you think, okay, what are my priorities? What do I care about the most? And you say laser focus, just like that American Preppers Network said, is you are focused. You have determination, dedication, planning, focus. You know where you're going. And it says all you need is a little X, Y, and some Z. I love <laughs> that because basically with teaching self-government, we're saying, okay, you need to know where you're going, who you are, and what skills you need to get there right mm -hmm. you need the tone the skills and the focus and the identity understanding who you are what are your roles in the family this is what you need and if you can put these pieces into place then there's nothing you can't conquer that doesn't mean everything is easy peasy oh no okay if i've got a jar of food in my food pantry that <laughs> i have canned okay let's say i've got a jar of jam Okay, say I've got apricot jam and it's in my food pantry and I'm like, I need to make dinner for my family and I'm looking at a pantry that has apricot jam, way too much apricot jam. How do I make food for my family with apricot jam? Well, it just so happens that I have amazing recipes like for apricot chicken and stuff like that where I can put things together, put them over some rice and boom, we've got a dinner with apricot jam, right? But um, sometimes, so sometimes you still have to like go, okay, this is my problem. Now, what do I have? Right? Yeah. But if I didn't do any preparing ahead of time, if I didn't have the apricot jam, or if I didn't have the skills in place or haven't made a vision, then I don't have anything to work with. And then you end up going out to eat. Actually, if there's no out to eat because you're in a pandemic, then. Oh, true. Well, hmm. I'm just saying worst case scenario. <laughs> I guess I am a prepper. 
Oh, I guess I am one of those cataclysmic people. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm not, but I'm trying to think of, okay, so let's say something's coming out to you. Yeah. Then you can't take care of things on your own. You don't have anything to work with. You've got to go to somebody else and hope that they've got something. Yeah. It makes you you more dependent on other people or other sources. And so when you are a prepper, then you can be confident in knowing that you have done everything you can uh, to sustain yourself. Yeah. So there's two different ways you can do life. Okay. You can make a plan or you can live in the moment and hope for the best, right? That, those are two different ways. Yeah, and there a- are different personalities. There's actually an Aesop's fable about that. Um, there's, yeah, it's, I remember it just popped into my head. Um, it's a fable about a grasshopper and an ant and a grasshopper. He spends the summer, you know, fiddling away as they say, um, you know, making noises or maybe it was a cricket, one of the two, um, you know, fiddling away and the ant spent his summer, you know, stocking food away. And so then when winter came, um, I think it was a cricket, maybe the cricket said, Hey, you know, I, I'm really hungry. Can you spare me some food and maybe a place to stay? And the ant's like, you know what? You spent the summer fiddling away and I spent the summer storing up food for the winter. So I'm sorry, but I did the work and you didn't. Mm, There you go. It's like the little red hen. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't do the work, then you're not ready when the time comes. Right. So there's people who are planners and there's people who are living the moment. And truth be told, Paige and I really excel at living in the moment. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's like, yay, distraction. (laughs) Love it. Okay. Like we actually really excel in that. I'm a, I'm a live in the moment person. I'm like, you know what? I just had this hankering for cookies. Let's make them. Yeah. We can drive there. Yeah. Or like, oh, you know what? It's a windy day. Let's go out and fly kites, you know, or whatever it is. Like, it's just whatever I want to do right then. We read a book, get an idea and like, let's do it right now. Yeah. You know, and we just go do it. <laughs> so, I mean, I do believe in delayed gratification. This is a principle. It's a good thing. But like a lot of times we just jump in two feet to lots of stuff. So oh, yeah. th- we can thrive in this. Our fa- my family is really good at spontaneity and live in the moment. But when it comes to my family relationships, when it comes to my happiness for my family, when it comes to problem solving for my family, I'm not going to just fly by the seat of my pants. No, because then there's no structure. No. So I'm going to then be a planner. And, mm-hmm. and you can turn it off and on, but I've decided where my priorities are, I absolutely will plan. So I'm going to have all kinds of fun. You know, I mean, people want me to hang out with their children because we're going to have a good time, you know, <laughs> because like, that, that free-spirited live-in-the-moment side. But also I'm going to say, wait a minute, what do I want to get out of this? Okay, that's where the plan comes in, right? Yeah. So I, I do both of those things. And, and the plan is well, reserved and both for can the highest be priorities. So you can oh, yeah. make a plan and still have spontaneity in that plan. I know there've yeah. been like so many different, say road trips that we've taken where we have a plan, but then we're like, Hey, let's stop here on the way, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's been so fun. And just those little things that are spontaneous have been some of the best memories ever. Yeah, absolutely. But we still know the direction we're headed. 
Exactly. And that's the, that's the metaphor here is you've got to know where you're going, right? You've got to know the direction you're headed. You've got to have a plan. When it comes to the way that you communicate as a family, you absolutely must have a plan. So even if you're a live in the moment per person, please say, but my priorities are this, you know, what are your top priorities? Are they God? Are they family? Is it education? Then you've got to make a plan for these top priorities in order for them to reach that point where you can say that's success. Is a happy family on your goal uh, board, on your vision board? Is it your agenda to have a happy family? Then you've got to do something about it ahead of time. You can't just wait for it to hopefully spontaneously happen because <laughs> you serve a lot of chocolate or what, you know, whatever it is like that doesn't <laughs> do it. You gotta have, you gotta have more than that. So let's talk about how to prepare for family relationship success and problem solving success. I think that's super important. Paige, you're just starting out a new family. What are some things that you have felt like would be or are vital and that you've been employing maybe as you are thinking of what do I want for my family relationship success? So you right now, your family is you and your husband, Joseph, what, what are you doing or what have you felt like has been important for your family relationship success? So something that I've been trying to do with, you know, me and Joseph is definitely communication. So I've noticed that even though I have been working on good communication and I know that skill set for good communication, I have realized that sometimes I communicate passive aggressively or, you know, quote unquote, the way girls communicate, you know? Oh, well, which is not, that's not fair to girls, well, it's, right? Well, it's a common like misconception. Sure. Anyway. So, and <laughs> quote unquote. Right. Okay. Right. Right. And so Joseph, he'll be like, so when you say that you mean this, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, just say that then <laughs> i'm like oh sorry <laughs> so when you're kind of doing the well do you think you could help out with that and he's saying do you want me to say oh can you help out with that <laughs> yeah okay so a good a common example or a, a good example um one that happens frequently that we're working on is he will leave the bathroom light on uh -huh. and i will look over it and i'll say oh you left the bathroom light on and that's it. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, go turn oh. it off. <laughs> well, because you weren't actually telling him to take any action. Right. But it was funny because like. Observation. And yeah. He's like, well, that's a nice observation. Right. I'm like, okay, Joseph, I need you to go turn the light off. <laughs> okay. He's like, oh, so okay. It's not passive aggressiveness. You know what that is? That is just non-direct communication. Yeah. It's non-direct. In fact, what you're doing is you're sharing instead of instead of being passive aggressive, you are you are sharing your thoughts or observations about something, hoping someone will catch your cues instead of just going straight to an right. open discussion about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think because we haven't necessarily had a conversation about that, that you know, it was just like, oh yeah, the light's on and your point. Anyway, whereas, you know, me growing up, when dad would say, Paige, you left the bathroom light on, I would go, oh, sorry. And I would immediately go and turn it off. Because you knew that's what he meant. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I just kind of carried that on and I've realized, I'm like, okay, I need to actually say what I mean and say what I want him to do instead yeah, of just anyone for him can to like read my mind. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, we can't go around reading each other's minds. It's much too muddy in there. Yeah, that, that's a hard <laughs> thing to do. Especially in so, a girl's brain where everything is connected to everything. Boys can get very lost in there. If I Honestly, I can get lost <laughs> in anyone's brain. It's, it's hard to figure it out. We shouldn't be going in other people's brains. What we need to do is we need to go in our own brains and figure out the best way to excel in our own brains. So what you're saying is you're saying that with your family relationships, you've had to decide, wait, what is the best way to communicate? And, and am I doing it? And actually you're saying, you know, I've noticed that I can improve on my communication and that I don't have to go back to an old fallback. I can actually just tell myself to do something new and it can be more effective. That right. is so great. Yeah. So that's been a big one, at least for me, because he is very forthcoming with what he what he wants and what he needs. And so for me, I just have to be like, Joseph, I need help with this. And, and then so, boom, yeah. he's there. Yeah, right? he's there. He's like, and cool. then boom. Yeah. I, I kind of had to figure that one out too in, <laughs> in those early married years, although you're figuring it out way quicker than I did. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, but there's other things that can create relationship success. So one of those is definitely good communication mm -hmm. and being able to talk about the problems. Oh, wow. That is so important. So yeah, some that is actually something that we're very good at. We don't really take things personally. We just talk it through, which is oh, super that's nice. Huge. That's yeah. huge. Not taking things personally. That's big. And, and the big thing here is, cause we're talking about prepping is you've decided not to take things personally. Right. That's a big one as we're preparing. Also, you and Joseph have made a picture ahead of time, a family vision for your family of where you're yeah. going in the future. It's like right? you read my mind. That's where I was going next. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, so that's actually something that we did for, um, you know, a family home evening, we just sat down and for, you know, the lesson portion slash activity portion, we, we sat down and we thought about, okay, what do we want, you know, our family to look like in 20 years? You know, how many kids will be there? How old are they going to be? You mm -hmm. know, and so we sat down and thought about that. And it was actually interesting because he, I was like, okay, he's just going to have some general ideas, but no, he was very detailed. He mm. sat in silence for a good two or three minutes with his eyes closed, just thinking. And I was waiting because that's, that's how he works. Cause he actually thinks before he speaks, which is fantastic. Um, and then he said, okay, we're going to have this many children. These are the genders in this order. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be this holiday. We're going to be with these people. These people are going to be this age. And I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. So I just started going. And, you know, writing it all down. And I'm like, wow, he, he took his time thinking about it. Yeah. So you cut out there just a little bit. So I don't know if everybody heard you, but I know what you were saying. Cause you were saying that he, he got into some great detail about what he hoped for, for his family. Not that you can prepare every little thing. Oh, some yeah, of no. that is, is left <laughs> up to, you know, the will of God and, you know, <laughs> biology and all I that know. other kind of stuff. But anyway, um, but he took some time and he really invested in it, which is mm -hmm. awesome. And so did you. So, so the both of you made a plan for your future. You made a plan for how you're going to communicate. You made a plan that you're not going to take things personally. This is fantastic, right? And yeah. you're having regular times where you're talking with each other about things uh -huh. of consequence, things that matter, things for your family. So this is really good stuff. Okay, so let's talk about preparing for problem-solving success. 
So when we're preparing for problem-solving success, usually we have to have some skills. So there's usually a tone and a structure that we need, okay? And, and some of those things are like, okay, well, when I'm going to solve problems, can I do it when I'm irate and angry and out of control? No, probably not. <laughs> so we need a tone called calmness, right? Mm -hmm. we, need to, we, we need to have a tone of understanding as well because people are going to see things in a different way. So you have to prepare ahead of time and think to yourself, how do I get calm when, I go, when I'm going to go out of control? How do I make sure to remember to understand other people? How do I speak in a way that will help me understand other people and their needs? And what skills do we have? What words can we choose to say so that we actually will have that understanding with each other? Right. So Almost that's like a, trigger words or phrases. Exactly. So, so that brings us to skills, you know. So with the Teaching Self-Government Parenting Program and Family Relationship Program, we talk about different skills. We talk about following instructions, accepting no answers, and criticism, accepting consequences, disagreeing appropriately. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain way that we do that. In fact, Paige and I know exactly how to disagree appropriately. Let's just do a little practice right now. There's seven steps to it. She, she looks at the person, keeps a calm face, voice, and body, says, okay, Oh, no, no, no. That's a different skill. She looks at the person. She keeps a calm face, voice, and body. She um, says that she understands the other person's point of view. Then she shares her point of view. She listens to what they have to say. And then she says, okay, and drops the subject. Okay? That's so, the one. That is the one. So what we're going to do is we're going to... We're going to practice this skill. So there could be a, a moment, any moment in the day, okay, where something happens. So Paige, how about you be my mom and I'm going to be the child and I don't want to do something. And so then you, you tell me to do something. I'm going to disagree appropriately about it. Okay. Um, let's see. Nicolene, I need you to clean your room. Okay. May I disagree appropriately about that, mom? Sure. Okay. Mom, I understand that you want me to clean my room because it is really messy and it's something that we always do on Saturdays and today's a Saturday, but I actually was in the middle of helping dad out in the yard and he just sent me in for a minute to get him a drink. And so I feel like I should probably finish helping him and probably finish giving him a drink. Otherwise he'll think that I didn't follow his, his instruction. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that dad had sent you in to help him and to give him a drink. So yeah, go ahead and finish that. And when you're done helping dad, please come inside and clean your room. Okay. Okay. Thank you for Boom. disagreeing appropriately. Yeah, sure. Oh, I love you. Followed it up with praise. And that is because, <laughs> and that is because you have prepared ahead of time to praise after, right? Yep. Wait, when somebody does something good, we show them it's a good thing. We show them the positive consequence because you can't learn self-government without seeing the negative and the positive consequences. And so we're going to show them the positive consequence and we're going to praise them, which is going to be so great. So you didn't see my eye contact and my calmness and all that stuff, but I, I did do all of those things. And hopefully you could hear that in my voice tone. We did all seven steps and I listened to what she had to say and I dropped the subject. And of course, I'm going to come back in and clean my room when it's time. But this is how any little problem is solved because we know a script. We know what to say. Well, see, I, I feel like I can't clean my room right now because something else is going on. I got to talk to mom about it. What script do I know? And what script does mom know? So that when I ask her, may I disagree appropriately, that she will go, oh, this is a moment where I say yes and listen and really understand. Yeah. And it preps her for that. Mm -hmm. So, and this, we have scripts for this for all kinds of things. Yeah. So, and they're not, they're not that hard to remember either. So it could sound... 
you know, really overwhelming, oh, so many scripts for so many different things, but no, they're all very similar, and they're all easy to remember, especially if you practice them as a family. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Ahead that practice of time. time, exactly, that practice time as a family, that role-playing, that yeah, is prepping. Huge. Yeah. Gets everybody ready. And I think that's another thing. You know, there's another thing that we do for problem-solving success as a family, and this is called SODAs. So SODAs is a written exercise. It's a problem-solving exercise. And when someone has had a problem, you can go through this written exercise and and so that you can help them prepare to not have the same problem in the future. Mm -hmm. And also if the family goes, hmm, what will we ever do about this problem? Or let's let's handle this upcoming problem that we don't know how to handle. What are our options? How are we going to handle it? And so the family has a formula that they go through to figure out the best way to solve problems. Also, we have meetings that we plan for on a regular basis that have formats that we go through that help us solve problems. So we don't have to be caught living in the minute because when you live in the minute and you're solving problems, that's scary. Well, that's where you see a lot of issues in families nowadays is because people don't have a system or a plan for what they're going to do, you know, when a child does something wrong. And so they flip out and get angry at the child or, you know, whatever. That is their plan because they don't know what else to do. And so they're then parenting through fear and that child is going to grow up and no longer be afraid at some point. And then they're not going to have structure and things are going to go haywire. Well, see, that's the thing is if you manipulate somebody for a long time, number one, they often become a manipulator. But number two, if they don't, they end up just not caring lots of times or we're taking on that victim role and then they're victim forever Mm -hmm. because they're being bullied or whatever it is. So either way you're messing with a person's emotional health and with their very identity, with the way that they solve their problems, with their future success. So you absolutely have to be prepared. So this is the thing. I'm the type of person that I could say awful, hurtful things. I could be a very bad, bad mommy. I I could (laughs) because I am a very, um, strong-willed, very vocal person. Yeah, you're very opinionated. That too. I see things in in clarity and I'm like, whoa, that is a bad choice. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like I see it and I know, but the way that it's phrased, the way that it's talked about, the way the problem is solved is crucial because I could just go on the attack all day long and dominate everybody. I could ruin my marriage. I could ruin my family. I mean, I have had to conquer myself and it took years starting when I was 14 years old working on this conquering, but, but even throughout the early stages of marriage and all through, um, foster care, I had to continually master myself again and again, more Mm -hmm. calmness. Don't take this personally, let it go. Forcing myself to let things go, to control my behaviors, to control my thought patterns. So I didn't end up in a bad thought pattern. I mean, this is stuff that I teach. In fact, this is what, what teaching self-government really is all about, is preparing oh, yeah. yourself to be prepared with your thoughts, with your behaviors, with your feelings, and making sure that when you get a feeling, you've got a plan for how to handle it in a productive way, instead of taking your feeling and hijacking everybody's life. Well, and when you have a plan for how to handle your feelings, then things go way smoother. So, especially like with young children, if you've talked with them and said, Hey, you know, when you're feeling this way, this is what we're going to do. So then when they get to that point, you can say, Hey, remember how we're, how we handle this, this feeling. 
and then you walk them through the steps. And that and then they don't yeah. That helps the child be able to analyze and process things so much better. Yeah, and then they don't have to like feel like their feeling is bad because I think some people think, oh, teaching self-government doesn't have room for feelings. Well, it absolutely does have room for feelings. The point is, because <laughs> there's feelings of connections, feelings of love, feeling of calmness, feeling of understanding, um, feeling of caring, feeling of unity. Oh my goodness, there's so many wonderful feelings. But, but what happens when a person has an anger feeling? Should that trigger thoughts of of vindictiveness, of um, being a, a martyr or a victim? Should that trigger behaviors of attack? Or is there a better way to handle the feeling? The answer is yes, there is a better way. Yeah, and it's not getting rid of feelings. It's knowing what to do with them, analyzing them, seeing where they're coming from, and what would be the next best step in the situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. So anyway, if you want to learn even more scripts, you can go to like the Teaching Self-Government Parenting course, or you can attend one of our Teaching Self-Government uh, Parenting Mastery Trainings. Those are three-day events where we train you with a team of people just like me and Paige. In fact, I, I do the training, and then I've got coaches there like Paige and many other people who are trained to teach what I teach. So you definitely get the help on some of those scripts and skills and things that you need. One of those skills that is vital to self-government and learning to master yourself is the skill of pre-teaching. So just to touch on that really quickly, if you can tell a child, I'm going to give you a no answer. Do you remember how to accept a no answer? You look at the person, you keep a calm face, voice, and body. You say, okay, or ask to disagree appropriately, and then you drop the subject because they know that skill. You pre-taught it ahead of time, mm -hmm. right? And you role-played it with them ahead of time before they had to use it. Exactly. And so then when you do a pre-teach or what I often call a prep, okay, so this is a prep that you do right before you give the no answer. And you say those words I just said, and then you say, no, you can't have another cookie, okay? And then they look at you and they keep a calm face, voice, and body, and they say, okay. And then they drop the subject. And all of a sudden they're fine because they were prepared. They were prepped with a skill that they could use. They were, they were prepped right in the minute that this is a skill you need to use. They did it. And then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach them cause and effect and I'm going to praise them after. Why? Well, because it's perfect for personal training and it's optimistic and upbeat and it's unifying, but also because I told them, I prepared them ahead of time that every time that they chose to accept no answers and to choose self-government, that I'm going to praise them and to tell them what they did that they did well so that they can, they can do it again in the future. Yeah, no, I actually had a situation like this a couple days ago. Um, a good friend of mine and a few of her children are in town and she, she asked me if I could tend them uh, for a little bit. And I said, oh yeah, sure. And so um, the first night I was with them, we ended up reading, you know, all four of the children's books that you wrote, you know, Len Luray says, okay, which talks about following instructions, Porter earns a quarter, which talks about accepting no answers, big win for Quinn, which talks about accepting consequences and page takes stage, which talks about disagreeing appropriately. And it was so fun to read this with them. Um, and every time it would come across, you know, saying, okay, as part of the skill set, I would have them say it. Um, as we read the book and they loved it. And so it mm -hmm. was, it was so good though, because then two days later when I had them for the whole day, 
you know, from 7.45 in the morning till 9.45 at night, I was able to look at them and say, okay, I'm going to give you an instruction. Do you guys remember how to follow an instruction? And the, you know, the nine-year-old, and I think the other one was like five or six, they were like, oh yeah, you know, you look at the person and they would like whip their heads at me and look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Then they would say with a calm voice, face and body, and they would smile at me. And then they would say, and then you say, okay. And usually they'd stop there and be like, now remember, you got to do the task immediately and then check back. But that was so helpful because we were able to read those books a couple days earlier. They knew that they knew what I wanted them to do and what I needed them to do when I was giving them an instruction. And Mm -hmm. it was so helpful for keeping these children happy for one, but also in line, especially in my tiny apartment that can barely (laughs) hold three children. (laughs) But it was so nice to be able to see that pre-teach, even though I didn't necessarily do it knowingly, but the fact that I was able to pre-teach them a couple days before helped so much with being able to manage them and to be able to keep them happy. Yeah. And I think you're also showing, wow, look how fast they can learn these things. Oh, yeah. Look what their recall is when you teach them something. Child brains are amazing. Oh, yeah. So pre-teaching works incredibly well. In fact, probably 90% of the time you're going to end up pre-teaching your children just so that you remember what you need to do and what they need. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, because the parents actually, the older the brain get, the parents has a harder, have a harder time. Of course, Paige, you were raised with this. It's second nature for you, you know, to yeah. be like this. And, um, to know these skills and this kind of thing. Honestly, I I can say, and not trying to do it in any kind of a bragging way, but but our family really was a well-oiled machine. And and I think that's what people saw. When When it came to problem solving, when it came to family relationships, when it came to just having happiness and having a good content feeling all the time, our family was definitely it felt like a well-oiled machine. Like we just need to struggle very often because we had prepared ahead of time. And so that, that opened the door that we could travel more, we could do more, we could influence more, serve in our community more because we didn't have to deal with a lot of our own issues. Yeah. Well, we had taken the time to look ahead and this was something that actually set us apart from a lot of families in the area, you know, in our friend groups and stuff like that, who didn't necessarily have this system is they would look at our family and go, oh my gosh, how are you guys all so happy? Especially looking mm-hmm. at all of our personalities. All of our personalities are very much like, okay, have control of the situation, but also super bubbly and happy, you know? And they're like, how do you manage, how does this work? You know? How can this many strong-willed extroverts actually never fight? How? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so- and it's called prepping. Planning ahead and (laughs) planning skills actually set us apart from a lot of our friends. Not necessarily in a bad way, but in I guess you could say a more mature, more you know prepared way. Mm -hmm. Um, I know for me growing up, I was able to see through a lot of situations in say like groups of young women in my church congregation and stuff where they would be stressing about certain things and I would just kind of stand back, look at the situation, analyze it and be like, okay guys, this is what needs to happen. And so I would just kind of insert myself at the head and just be like, okay, I know it needs to happen. Let's do this. Um, So-and-so I need you to do this, that this needs to happen. How about you two work on that? You know, this, that, and the other. And of course I did it in a kind way, but being able to almost instinctively just step back, analyze and come back in and then me being the extrovert person that I am, you know, just say, okay, this is what's going to happen. It helped out a lot. And it actually made me somewhat of a leader with 
a lot of my peers. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, there are many times where there a question would be asked and they would all just kind of look at me <laughs> and wait for me to answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh-oh, didn't mean to monopolize. But, yeah. but, actually, but actually, you were a leader among all of your peers and, and yeah. definitely looked up to by many people. Um, you know, obviously not perfect. I mean, constantly working on things over the years and growing and learning. But because you had the confidence to solve a problem, that made you a really rare one, right? So being able to solve problems builds confidence. It helps a person not feel afraid to take action. And that's where, that's really the main purpose of the problem solving skills. I mean, obviously we want to solve problems, but even more than that, when we become good problem solvers, we become leader people which is great. And that's why we can't be turning to outside sources to solve our problems all the time. We have to be turning to ourselves. That is what self-government means. Anyway, we are all preppers now, okay? <laughs> we are, every single person is a prepper. Now, let's not be afraid of it. Um, let's not think of ourselves as apocalyptic, crazy people. Instead, let's think of our, ourselves as people who go, nothing is impossible. We can conquer problems. All we need is a little bit of X, Y, and some Z. And yeah. we're going to be just fine. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us on the Teaching Self-Government podcast today. Paige, thank you for, for joining me and being part of this prepper discussion. Oh, for sure. And we will talk to you again next time on the Teaching Self-Government podcast. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.